Kia from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. Um, we're going into this new uh, sermon series uh, called Remember This. Hopefully throughout this today, uh, it's a three-week three sermon series and hopefully Throughout today, you'll sort of get the picture around this title called Remember This. And um, as I said, it's three weeks, and these next three weeks, uh, throughout this actual particular sermon series, we're going to be looking at the book of Malachi. Now, at the end of the series, I'm, I'm hoping that the aim is for you and I to just have some kind of understanding of this book, uh, the book of Malachi, and how the book of Malachi fits into the Bible, and how it's connected to the history of the Israelites. And of course, we want to make sure that we come out something that, that we've learned from it as well. I mean, what can we learn from such a, a small book, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that probably many of us have never read before, or many of us have never known that Malachi was in the Bible. <laughs> uh, no, it's not Malachi. And it's not Machiavelli, it's, now I'm getting my names mixed up, <laughs> it's Malachi. Um, and, you know, let me, let me give you a, a, a background, okay, to, to this book, Malachi, and how, how it comes into the picture of the Old Testament. And if, even as I talk through it, and as I share today, I want you just to, uh, um, once again, it may be something new to you, it may be something that is old and you've heard this message or heard something in this sort of manner um, shaped around it, but I really hope that you're able to be challenged today, okay, out of all days, be encouraged today um, through this word. And I want to start by giving you a little background um, to how Malachi comes into the picture. And I want to start with uh, King David, okay. So King David, King David becomes the king over time, and he ends up uh, becoming king over all of Israel, and he unifies all these tribes, all the 12 tribes of Israel, into one kingdom. And God promises David that this kingdom, in this kingdom there's going to be a messianic king, you know, who will come from, his, from David's family line. And this king will establish God's kingdom over the nations, and also he'll fulfill everything promised to Abraham. And even though David's family line was a chosen family, right, there is a long line of kings that carry on after David. And the sad thing is, the majority of those kings, they don't live up to the promises God had established. So soon after David's reign, right, you have Israel's kingdom. It's, it's now, it's divided into two rival kingdoms. Uh, we, we'll just call them the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom. And both these kingdoms are now, you know, having rivals against each other. And the thing is, there's, there's turmoil and there's chaos and it's running rampant in both of these kingdoms. These kings, however, as well, they just run the nation of Israel right to the ground. And so, with that all happening, God intervenes. And God intervenes by bringing in these people called prophets. Now, prophets, 
There were people who were, uh, who were messages for God, and there were key people in Israel's history. Now, the prophets in, in the Bible, hear me here, they weren't fortune tellers, okay? Uh, they spoke on behalf of God, and, they, will, and they, would, they would pull up, or they would call out all the idolatry and the injustice that happened amongst the kings, amongst their kingdoms, and the people of Israel. And they were God, God's messengers, uh, messenger, reminding the Israelites that they were to be the, I guess, to be the light to all the other nations that were surrounding them. And so they were to live by the Torah, by the Ten Commandments, and just follow God's laws. And these prophets were the voice for God to challenge Israel, pretty much to repent and to obey and to follow God's ways. However, once again, sad to say, Israel, they still chose to live in their sinful ways. Their choices actually put them into this, I guess, an un unavoidable consequences because of their sin. So what is left of the people of Israel at this time? Well, one, king one kingdom... Uh, the North Kingdom, they eventually, they're wiped out. They're completely wiped out off the earth. The other kingdom, who was the kingdom of, you know, that, that belongs to David's lineage, his family line, well, they still exist, right? But they're invaded by a nation known as the uh, Babylonians. Now, these Babylonians, they overtake this last kingdom that's standing, and they and all the riches, they're carried off to Babylon, including the people, including David's royal lineage. And these people, they're all exiled into Babylon. And the Israelites, they live in exile for the next 70 years. They have no choice, right? They have no choice but to live in this foreign land. They have to adapt to the Babylonian way of life and culture. But still, at the same time, they're trying to represent living God's ways in this foreign land. And after 70 years in exile, a whole new kingdom takes place. And it takes place and these Israelites are now being given the freedom to move back to their homeland, which is in Jerusalem. And so now we fast forward 100 years, okay, later. And this is where Malachi comes into the picture. Malachi's message is directed to this whole new generation of Israelites who have been living in Jerusalem for some time now. And at this current time in Israel, a hundred years has passed, as I said before. hundred years has passed since being back in Jerusalem, and things still weren't going too well. You see, when the Israelites were freed, right, to come back uh, from you know, to come back home from the exile, they actually had these high hopes of just rebuilding their lives again. You know, they had high hopes of building the temple. The temple would be built back to its glory. Uh, the promises of the Messianic king will reign and unity and unify Israel again, and, and they'll bring God's kingdom into its victory once and for all. But that wasn't the case. The Israelites that, you know, they had repopulated the city at this time 
were, they were as unfaithful to God just like their ancestors from the time of the kings after David's reign. The 70 years in exile, it was, a, it was a history story, I guess, for this new generation. And it was a story that was part of their, the roots that they came from. But it didn't change them at all. The result of their constant unfaithfulness, it resulted in them living in corruption and living in poverty. And so the book of Malachi, we see just how corrupt this new generation has become. The book of Malachi, it's made up of a, a series, I guess, of disputes or arguments, arguments towards God. And God would, you know, God would say something, and the people of Israel, they would argue back in this book. They would argue back and disagree with God, and then God would respond back to them, and he'd respond back to their argument, and he'd just put them in their place. You ever tried arguing with God? I tell you, you will never win. <laughs> You will be schooled. But this example of, of arguing with God and, and then God giving back a response, schooling them, this, is, this happens back and forth, the arguments, the disagreements with God and the Israelites. It happens actually six times. Six times. And that's pretty much the whole book of Malachi and how it's written. Now, I want to bring our attention to just one of those arguments today. One of those arguments that the Israelites have with God, and hopefully we can learn from this argument that they have with God. And it's taken from the book, uh, chapter 1, and it's just verses 2 and 3. This is what it reads. It says, this is God saying, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his heritage to, desert, to the desert jackals. You know, the very first thing God says to the people of Israel is, I have loved you. And the very first argument they say back to God is like, really, God? I mean, how have you shown your love to us? I mean, look at us. Look at our situation. Look, look, look what, you, what you brought us back into. This new generation that was living in Jerusalem, they had grown to be quite a bit skeptical of God's love. And because of the way they had become, they weren't fully convinced that God truly loved them because they felt there was no proof of his love for them. There was no proof. Ask yourself this question. Is your life in such a shambles right now that you feel as skeptical and, and maybe unsure about God in your life like the Israelites did? Is that you today? Maybe some of you in here if you're following God in obedience, man, that's just old-fashioned. It's old school. 
You know, I've been doing this walk for so long now and, and turning up to church and, and saying my prayers, but nothing, nothing in my life has changed. This walk is boring. Are you one of those people that might be saying, really, God? You say you love me, yet how have you shown me love? I'm sure we all have, at times in our life, have complained to God like this. Probably not out in the open, but definitely on your own. I'm guilty a lot of times. But up here I won't. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but when I'm at home, I'm crying like a baby because of my issues. You know, God's reply back, though, to the argument, and he, he answers them by saying, this, this part up here, is not Esau Jacob's brother? I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Now, if you ask me, what sort of answer is that? It seems so weird to say something like this, right? Well, not based off this story. You see, every Israelite knew. They knew that Esau was not only Jacob's brother. Esau and Jacob, they were actually twin brothers. Just one was hairier than the other, apparently. And not only were they twins, right? Esau. Esau was the eldest brother. And by right, the eldest brother is the main heir of the father's blessing because the eldest in the family was first in line and once the father died, everything was passed on to him to look after and be responsible to continue on the family work. But in the story of Esau and Jacob, for those who don't know, the younger brother Jacob, Jacob was the chosen to become heir of their father's blessing. Not Esau. Esau wasn't chosen. Now, an important thing, right, to remember here for the Israelites at that time is this. If God didn't choose Jacob to be heir and chose Esau instead, the Israelite family line would have never existed because the Israelite lineage came from Jacob, not from Esau. From Jacob's lineage comes the 12 tribes. From Esau's family lineage come the tribe of Edom. And this is what God says about Esau and his family lineage in the, in the next couple of verses. And he talks about this tribe of Edom. And it says in verse 4, if Edom says... We are scattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, though, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, God is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Jacob's family, his family line continued on to be great, 
It was the family line and the family tree of people like Joseph, Moses, and Joshua, and David, and so forth. And it ends up all the way down to the lineage of Jesus. And as for Esau, <laughs> the tribe of Edom, the tribe of Edom, they were actually the most wickedest people on earth. And eventually, they came to ruin because of their own sin. And then they no longer existed. And you'll find that in Scripture. God uses the story of Jacob and Esau to remind the Israelites of his love towards them. And he pretty much puts them in their place for arguing and challenging him about his love. Israel at this time, as I said earlier, right, they had grown skeptical of God's love. Not only were they unsure of God's love, but they had drifted away from living the way God had called them to live. They were called to live holy. They had become careless in the way they worshipped God, and they offered sick animals for sacrifice, and, and, and just the wrong things they were offering to God for sacrifice. Not only that, though, the priests, the priests there would accept all kinds of sacrifices. They were fine with it. But that was an offense to God. Men, at that time, they were, they were actually divorcing their wives for no good reason, it says. They were divorcing them for no good reason, just to marry other women, and then taking on board the idol worship of those new wives. Husbands would be all dead if we tried that <laughs> with our wives, right? This was the normal way, though. It was actually normal for them, and the normal way of living in that time for the Israelites. And as they lived in their own sinful nature, and as they continued living in disobedience to God, well, of course they began to drift away from believing in Him. Israel at this time, they may have felt that God seemed far away from them, and that's why they argued with God a lot. But He never was, he never was far away. That's the thing. God never stopped loving the people of Israel. In actual fact, it was the other way around. It was the Israelites that were far away from God based off the way they were living. And just a thought here. I'm always grateful that God has loved me through all my sin, through all my flaws, the fact that he chose me is such a humbling thing for me to remember. And we can look at the example of Israel here. You and I can easily get caught up in arguing with God and why life hasn't gotten any better for, the, you know, for a long time now. And let me say this, and I'm talking from, from personal experience, okay? When you are in a place of complaining and arguing about how God doesn't answer your prayers, how about you just take a step back and then think about the times that he has brought you out of all your mess. 
the Israelites, they had forgotten what they came out of. But God made them remember. You know, remember this. Remember when I brought you out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea for you to cross over to safety? Is that not my love for you? Remember when I used to, when I used your ancestor David to kill Goliath, and from that he became king over all of Israel. Remember when I used Joshua, and I used Joshua to take over the land that I promised his descendants, the very promised land that you now reside in? I haven't forgotten you. I have loved you through all this, and I continue to love you even now. God's love during this time of history for Israel, it was never an afterthought. He didn't fall out of love for them every time they disobeyed and then started loving them again every time they would repent. He loved Israel from the time they were chosen. And time and time again, throughout their history, they kept forgetting this, the amazing things God did for them. But God continued to love, continued to love them, you know, unfailingly, unconditionally, and, and with just no limits. Uh, how about your story? Does this sound like you? Are some of the things in your present life, hear me now, is some of the things in your present life today blocking your view of what God has done in the past? The story that comes to mind was when um, Rowena's dad, you know, my father-in-law, my dad, he had passed away. And I know it was hard for the whole family, but it was hard for me as well. And to me, because he was probably the most closest father, you know, I, I had. This was because my father had passed away when I was 12 years old. And I remember at this time it was, you know, my dad, Rowena's dad, he was at the hospital. And I remember him taking his last breath. And the whole family, we were all sitting in there. And we took the last, he took the last breath, and we all broke. Everyone started, I, can't, I don't know if some of you remember, some of my family, everyone started to break, and I just stood there, and I said, shush, cut it out. We ain't going there. No one's crying. I just didn't know what to do. That's all that came out of my mouth. I couldn't think straight. I wasn't able to talk to people. And you know, island funerals, they go on for at least a week. And I had a whole week of trying to process how my life was going to be without this man. Even after everything that had gone back to normal and life continued on, family members had gone back overseas and gone, gone on their way. Life wasn't the same. The moments that, you know, that, that I knew that he was usually there, 
that no longer existed. Have you ever gone through those kind of moments? It's hard to see beyond what life is after a hard situation like that. And what we get caught up in doing is this. Our current circumstance or our present situations that is in front of us begins to to overshadow the faithfulness of the things that God has done in the past for your life. Maybe you feel like you, you, you know, you're going through a dry season in your life right now in following Jesus. And it's like being locked up in prison. And the richness of, of Scripture has no taste in your life anymore. Maybe, maybe these sermons that I've been sharing constantly every week are things that you've heard before so it doesn't seem to, to sharpen your Christian life. Because the sermons are boring. I love you too. Or maybe, man, your prayer life, it seems like it just, it hits this roof and it doesn't feel it's breaking through, you know, for God to hear your cry of desperation. And all those things, they begin to happen in your life. And soon enough, you've drifted from God and seem, it seems, you know, you seem to find it hard to come back to him when you're used, because you used to be so on fire. And it's like every Christian, <laughs> hear me here, man, because I've experienced this too. It's like every Christian around you, when you're in conversation with them now, it feels like they're judging you, eh? It's like, man, what are you judging me for? It, just because of the words they speak. And you hate being around that kind of chat, that kind of talk with these Christians, because all of it, without you knowing, this so-called unknown wall of pride is put up in front of you to help stop these brothers and these sisters giving you words of encouragement, or just talking with you, really. And life gets even harder, and you begin to curse God for, for everything that he's not doing in your life. And you're just so disappointed in him. I've gone through these kind of moments so many times in my Christian walk. Today's sermon, it's a reminder for you and I to remember. This is not something hard. It's not something hard to do. It's not rocket science. All it is, is looking back to the things God has done in your life to help you walk through where your life is today. Do you remember when God first awakened your heart, your mind, and your soul to live for Him? Do you remember that day? It might have been a long time ago for you, for some of you. Some of you might have been last year. Do you remember that excitement, right, when he pulled you out of darkness, that day you gave your life to him? Can you remember? Remember how joyful life was, 
No longer, you weren't this orphan, you know, but a child of God from, you know, you were this dead sinner to this resurrected saint. Do you remember that time? Remember those days of, you know, when you'd probably choose parts of Scripture to read and you'd probably park up somewhere or sit somewhere or get some time alone with, with you and God? And then after that, you leave on a high because, you know, God has shown you things that from his word that you never read before. And it's like you try to do that now and it's like it's not there. Really? Remember the times when, when things were hard, right? And you prayed to God and you didn't feel like nothing was happening, but you just kept pushing through because you knew that your current situation was being overshadowed by an ungodly thoughts of the lies from the enemy, and you just prayed through, through all your hard times, through all your rough times, through all your trials. If this is you today, and I'm talking about myself here as well, but if this is you today, let me tell you, God has not forgotten you. Go back to remembering who he has been in your life to remind you of his love for you. Revelation 2, uh, verses 3, it says, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen and now repent and do the things you did at first. That's harsh, but it's honest. He loves us. He loves you. And I can turn up to church and do my rituals and do my traditions of of however I should and however I should act. But my life is a mess. And that was a thing that the Israelites were doing during the time of Malachi. They were blaming God. They were arguing with him because they weren't happy with their lives. But the thing was, they created that themselves from just being disobedient. And so they got comfortable with tradition. I oh, just sacrificed this, this lamb. It's got three eyes, but he won't see it. It's okay. And so you go half pie into this relationship with God. And then you start to drift. As soon as we drop our guard, the enemy is on you. I promise you. You're reading around the world, so many pastors, famous pastors are falling. And they're falling because of just sin. And these are pastors that are are prominent pastors from, you know, huge churches, and I can sit here and I can look at them and say, man, what a sinner, but I don't. I sit there with the fear of God and just think, God, that can happen to any of us. As soon as I drop my guard in one area, the enemy is on me. It may not take one day, it may not take a year, 
It could take 50 years from now. Just like some of these prominent leaders around the world that have run churches for over 30 years and are having to give up their churches because of idolatry and just things that have been happening. We don't want to be like that. But we look at that as an example and say, man, Lord, thank you that you continue to love them and what they're going through. And you love us with the mess that we're going through as well. If you have been weighed down with current pressures and situations that right now might be overshadowing your life, as I finish up, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that God will show himself strong and he will break you free. He'll break you free from this bondage of hurt, of pain, of anger, of stress, all your issues, of your sin. And I want to pray that God will remind you of the things that he did for your life that made you fall in love with him in the first place. And that's my prayer. Looking back, at the life of the Israelites and learning from them just from this one argument. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be careful in what we argue <laughs> with to God. Eh? But at the same time, like I said before, you will not win. <laughs> but don't drift away from him and blame him for the things that you and I have chosen to walk in the sin that maybe we're always, already and always struggling in. This is, this is it for you. This is your time. And that's why this, this is called, remember this. Remember the time, son, when I brought you out of this. Remember the time, daughter, as you're struggling right now for whatever it is, you remember when I brought you out of this situation. Have you forgotten? Well, let me remind you. Let's pray. Father.